What up, Whiskey Ginger fans? Welcome back to the show. Like I always say, please subscribe. Hit that notification bell so you know when we post. But we post every single Friday. We don't miss. Uh, very excited about what's going on. I'm putting up a bunch of new tour dates. You got to go to andrewsantino.com to find all that stuff. I'm going to be in Atlantic City at the end of the month. I'm going to Madison. I'm going to Boston. I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to Houston. I'm going to Houston in July. I was just there, and I'm going back. Uh, and then we're adding a ton of new dates, but go to andrewsantino.com for all that information. That's where the tickets are. Don't buy them anywhere else but from andrewsantino.com. Also, the Patreon is Whiskey Ginger Podcast. Patreon.com slash Whiskey Ginger Podcast. That's where you get the uh, solo Cheeto chats that we do. And for the top tier, we do a Zoom once a month, which is super fun. Um, and we answer questions and all that stuff. If you're looking for merch, it's in the merch bar below on YouTube. Otherwise, it's at andrewsantinostore.com. But go buy some tickets. Come see me live. Enough rambling. Let's go to the episode. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. Oh, that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the horse. Gingers are oh, hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Whiskey Ginger. My guest today is one of my favorite people on earth. I say that for all my guests, but actually, I mean it. Once again, today, it's Mr. Judd Apatow. Judd, thanks for coming. I'm here. I'm here. You know what I found interesting? <laughs> Let's go down the list of things you've complained about so far. I, I've complained about, about a lot, but I'm going to complain about the main thing first. Okay. Here's the best part of the pandemic, not leaving the house. Right. Uh, you know, I had to promote King of Staten Island. I did the entire thing from uh, my couch. I did Colbert. I did The Tonight Show. Never heard of, I, never I did heard of them. Everything. Yeah. And it worked perfectly. People enjoyed it. And then I come home uh, from a, a long shoot in England and you say you have to come to the Valley, which is everything that I so enjoyed not doing. Correct. Yeah. Like, like there's nothing good about the pandemic except not coming to the Valley. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, it kind of works better from the Valley. And I really only said yes. Assuming it was one of those Zoom things yeah. like Colbert. You could have bailed. You could have said, well, and I didn't bail though, which says something about it me. It says a lot about you. And here's the thing. I'm not going to make fun of those guys, but I'm about to. Okay. The reason those shows are failing so miserably is because the Zoom stuff doesn't work. People want to see people together. They want to know that yeah. you have a human interaction. Yeah. The computer thing is so devoid of any sort of like prior relationship. It takes away anything fun. And I don't know. It's why Conan is quitting, I think. It's why those shows are grasping at straws a little bit to like stay on the air and stay relevant. And I'm not, I'm not shitting on them as much as I think there's a big disconnect in late night shows. I think people see it at home now because they're privy yeah. to this world. They're like, Oh, that's, they don't like each other. They don't know each other. There's no relationship there. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say they're better now. Oh, you, Oh really? Yeah. I'm oh, say well, the ratings better. would disagree with you. Remarkably. I love stripping it down, <laughs> removing all energy from those shows. Oh, good. I like yeah. it. I like I like seeing people without their makeup, yeah. playing an acoustic guitar, without the band. That's what's happening right now. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I think it works on those talk shows to just see everyone vulnerable, yeah. weak, maybe even a little sad. Mm -hmm. I've, I've enjoyed some of those <laughs> interviews. I haven't thought I wish there was a whoop and holler crowd, although I do know what you mean. I mean, I think that what are your most memorable, who are the most memorable guests from late night shows in your opinion? Like I'm- That I've watched as a fan. Yeah, because I'm a late night, I, Carson was like, I was addicted as a kid. Me I was too. obsessed. My mm. mom used to like yeah. tear me away from Carson. Yes. How uh, old are you by the way? 37. Okay, so I'm 53. No, we know. 
I, I'm not wearing it well. Uh, but I, so so I got more Carson years than you. Way more, yes. Uh, and maybe a little more of the the 70s, yeah. uh, cornier, George Gobel-esque right. era of, right. of the Which I show. enjoyed watching, though. I did watch rewatch all that yes, stuff. Fantastic. Uh, so what what do I think of when I think of like the great talk show moments that pop into mind? I will tell you. I in the world of Letterman, yeah, obsessed with the show. Watched the the morning show as a kid. Mm-hmm. It was on. I believe it started maybe in the summer. I just saw a lot of it because I just didn't go out and play with people very often. Uh, and was maybe I don't know twelve or something when that hit. Right. So it was I was very aware when that uh, was ending. So he had been canceled, and there was an awareness that he was going away. And the show talked about it, and I had never seen that before. That was a big deal back then. A guy with a talk show making fun of the fact that he just got shit canned. Yeah, and the the show embraced the concept of we're screwed. Right. And and did the big finale episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really, really funny. He used to have guests on who were fake guests. And there was one guy who used to come on and he would pretend to be an author. And so you would think it was like Tom Clancy or something. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the interview, he would just start crying and go, I'm sorry, I lied. I'm not Tom Clancy. I'm a very <laughs> bad man. And he would run off. Yeah. And they would do it like once a week. Yeah. <laughs> They'd have this guy come on. And I used to love Brother Theater. All the fringe guests of Letterman, right? You know, when Sandra Bernhard used to be on in the in the early days, Harry Shearer used to be yes. on, and then he switched to CBS. And when he switched, there was a whole category of people that he did not put on the CBS show, like it was more commercial. So because you because CBS have had that. their hands on it, yeah. exactly. And so I love that early Letterman when you can't get the great guests, yeah. So you get the great guests, right? Well, I like I said. Uh, I think I said it on. I don't know. I said it on another podcast, but Warren Zevon, I'm a huge fan of, sure. and when him and Dave had that interaction, it was stuff like that that I loved, that I missed, right? And I'm yes. not saying the new shows are garbage. I just think you miss this very friendship element that isn't all about rating roping. It's more about like, well, I know these guys actually appreciate each other's work, and there's something real there, and you're not going to know everyone they have on your show. But with like someone like Warren or even Harmony Corinne, right? Like yeah. Harmony got all that flack for going on there, but mm. he had him on four more times. Sure. So it was like this weird fun play that Dave yeah. was doing where he was annoyed and pissed off, but it was beautiful because he soaked it up. But I mean, there's been so many guests that have gone on in that world of the fringe, whatever. The Charles Grodin era of yes, the of Tonight like, Show. Yes, of just making it, <laughs> it was like uncomfortably fun to watch. And I think Carson used to embrace weirdo shit all the time. But we went away from it. Now it's like Jimmy playing ping pong with Chris Pratt, which is fine, but it just, it misses the thing. So anyway, let's unwind. You complained about the, the studio and saying it was going to get hot. Yeah. The it's, chairs it's are hot. too, the it chairs is, are it too is getting hot. We're yeah. in the valley. It's very hot outside. You had the AC <laughs> crank. You had the AC cranking when I walked in and then I thought halfway through this podcast, we are boiling. Yeah, but let me tell you something. We don't make enough money to mm-hmm. have AC running the whole time. Well, what you need is very, like a kind of a $10,000 unit. That 10, just, you that's think we can so afford quiet, that? like a quiet. Oh, a whisper a quiet, quiet AC whisper. unit? Yeah, yeah. And I the chairs so. were too big because someone broke the, Trixie Mattel, who's, incre- do you know Trixie at all? No. She's like drag royalty. She's, mm-hmm. uh, she was one of the, you know, kind of the most, one of the more famous people from RuPaul's Drag Race. But Trixie came on here and broke one of the chairs. They were, it was already broken, mm-hmm. but I made her feel bad. Like she broke it and I had to get new chairs. 
This is all I could afford, Judd. These are deep. They're too deep, so your legs can't. Well, if you're fight. tall, if you're a full size man as I, look at my feet lay flat. But most people aren't. Well, that's their problem, not mine. You can't mine. have chairs that only work for a six foot one person. And up. Six foot one and up. So this, you have like Brad Garradon and Bo Burnham and love, the chairs work. Love. Yeah, love. I should get those. Can we make sure we get those guys on the list of guys to get on the show? I actually have had Judy Brad. Gold loves this chair, but yeah, most Judy, of us yeah. don't. Jesselnick. There's so many people that these chairs work for. I'm, not, uh, I'm two inches shorter than this. You no, know, you're, you're, Judd, we've known each other for a while. Uh, we knew each other outside of stand-up. We knew each other inside of stand-up in the, in the latter return of you kind of coming really back to the store. Um, I've, I've done table reads for you. Um, I've never been able to work for you. And that's because you don't like me enough. I like to think of it as things need to sync up. Right. That's you know? the Hollywood way of saying you're not good enough. You can just say I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not going to say that because here's the thing. Say it. The hardest part about being a producer. Yeah. In the course of your life, you only have so many parts to cast. Yeah. Right? And you you like a lot of people, such as yourself, but it has to line up. It, ha it, has, to, it has to sink. For instance- What do I, I need to do? Do I need to get tattoos? You need to just somehow magically be right for something. For instance, I just made a movie- uh, King of Staten Island. No, I made a movie uh, called The Bubble in England. About people during the pandemic. Trying to shoot a movie. Yes. Could uh, and, have been in that. And Fred Armisen was in it. Love him. Right? Mm -hmm. So I, it sunk up. It sunk up. It sunk up. But I had Corona. Don't you think using a guy that had Rona for real life experience would have been nice? Throw in the guy that had Corona in there. It would have It would have been better. It would have, it would have, See? It would have been a, a little bit of reality. You would have almost been a consultant. And I could be hired for that. I'll take anything at this point. But you enjoy the acting. No, I love it. And I've always I've always respected and appreciated you and your work. And that's why I, I always enjoyed whenever you hit me up and was like, will you come to this read? Because I always wanted to see what you had going on. And I'm not placating. I really do mean that. We were talking before. Fancy and I were talking about, you know, your resume. And uh, I mean, look, some of the greatest stuff that I've liked as a comic, you've made some really wonderful stuff. And including the newer stuff, too, of King of Staten Island was great. You know? Thank you. It was great. Um, is this bubble going to be good? I, I can't vouch for that yet. You don't know. Here's the thing. I don't know. I'm yeah. in editing right now. And it might be good. And you wrestle with it and you think, is it in there? Yeah. Is it in there? But sometimes you make stuff and you don't know. Like, no, or, you never or, know. Or, or have you ever made a show, like Freaks, with Freaks? Yes. You knew the whole time. You know, it's not so much that you know. Sometimes you know that you would like it. So there's a couple uh. of levels. One is... Do you think you can get it to the place where you think it's great? Right. Then it's like, is that result what anyone else would agree with right. as being great? And then it's, will it transcend and will a lot of people jump on board? So sometimes I'll make something and I'll think, well, this, it might just be a cult hit. I, I like this, but I don't think this is mainstream taste. Yeah. And other times you happen to, to connect with a lot of people. The main thing is you just don't want to make something that when you see it on cable you're really upset that people are going to watch it. You know, like, you know, you failed and it's, there it is. Yeah. There it is. So, which we've all done. So yeah. So if you're happy when you see it, like, Oh, someone's watching that right now. Yeah. That becomes the ultimate judge of it. Yeah. I guess that's true. That'd be, that, that's like, the, like you're, I'm super interested to find out because I have this, you know, Carlin was always kind of a guy for me that was bigger than a comic. It was when I was younger, I, I think my dad showed, showed him to me and I was like, 
It didn't never made me laugh out loud as a kid, yeah. but it always made me ponder and like, oh, like it was just opening my mind's eye. Like, wow, I've never even thought about shit like that. Like he was just great at entering these little co comedic parts of my mind, but it never made me ha ha. Not yes. like Eddie used to make me lose my shit when sure. I would sneak away and watch Eddie. And my mom hated it because all the shit he would say that I'd have to like hold in my laughs to be quiet if yeah. I was watching that. But with Carlin, it was much safer. My parents, I think, were more okay with him. But you're doing a um. You're doing a doc. You're doing a docu series about well, a documentary, a two part documentary okay. with my uh, co director Michael Bonfiglio. So that's happening right. What a name! Now, yeah, what a name, Bonfiglio. Bonfiglio. What is he? What has he done prior? Well, he is uh, famous for having made the great uh, Bo Jackson thirty for thirty. That was him. Yeah. To show Bo shooting uh, arrows with his feet. I mean, he's done a lot of things. He produced the Gary Chandling documentary. For me, we co-directed the uh, uh, Doc Gooden documentary, the Daryl Strawberry Doc Gooden documentary for 30 oh, yeah. for 30. We did that together. And we did a documentary about the band, the Avett Brothers, together called May It Last. Very cool. He's a very talented man. And he just also directed the Patrice O'Neill documentary. Oh, my God. Uh, but so, yeah, so we're in the middle of that now, which is fascinating because obviously when I was a little kid, that he was the guy, class clown. Right. You know, I, I grew up at the prime of the 70s version of – of George Carlin, and then it it got lighter for a while. It became like place for my stuff, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, what's a suitcase? Uh, it's a mess. It's a, <laughs> I, I mean, all that stuff. There was like a moment with George Carlin where we were all quite, uh, you know, unsure where it was going to go. And then suddenly, it went really dark. The last three specials, which I always loved, Those and I think favorites. Modern Life has proven him correct on almost everything. Totally. That he said. So, the documentary hopefully will be a journey through history also through his eyes as someone from the 50s 60s 70s all yeah. the decades and how he morphed as the, the world was changing we have a family friend who used to be his wife's assistant and would say that he had this like lab of his jokes and was extremely um particular about the way he would like articulate everything and so he wrote down every word like you know as most stand-ups a lot of us don't write down every word, yeah. but he wrote down every yeah. word. And apparently he used to repeat it over and over and over and over, mm -hmm. like to a point where yeah. it would drive her crazy. It was yeah. like, stop. You've said the joke a thousand times, but he would do it because he just liked the inflection differences and the intonation. And I think that kind of chaos is like what you see in Kobe or Tiger or these great athletes. It's like the, the repetitive chaos is what makes them kind of the greatest, which just you know, it makes me, it reminds me that I'm never going to be that great, which I'm comfortable with. Because I don't have yeah. that thing where you're like, oh, I can't lose my mind over the repetitive nature of the particulars. I can't do I, that. I don't do, I, well, in terms of movies, I don't do that with movies. Right. I, I, I don't write a script, make it perfect and shoot it. I write a script that I feel like has the outline of what I want to do. And then I want to improvise and play and rewrite on the set. Right. And I want to find something in the moment. Right. I used to be much more anal about getting it perfect on when the you're page. young as a director and producer and also i didn't like working that way because you get right. in editing and you realize oh that joke i was sure was good wasn't good right and then now i'm in editing i have nothing to fix it with yeah. so i rather on the set get five jokes in every spot as opposed to one and work with super talented improv i mean yeah the people that you've elected to work with you know it says i ran into Chris Watowski oh, yeah. the other day. Well, I ran into him the first time. We kind of didn't really know each other. We ran into mm. each other at, at uh, CBS Radford. And he was like, hey, man, you're great. I said, dude, you're great. Because I do this thing where, um, 
And people that don't know, Chris was on Love. He's he's hilarious. I don't remember the character's name because I'm not good with that. Uh, I never remember those yeah, things. Yeah, how can I, you? I move on so fast. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you're already out of here right now. I remember now. Chris. Yeah, Chris, you know. But Chris, <laughs> Chris played... Uh, Paul's neighbor on the show or like lived in the same complex as him. Yeah. And, and uh, I do this thing where, and I've done this since I was a child. My mom was like, oh, you always did that. If I was watching something on VHS and I found it like hysterical, I'd rewind it and do it again and then rewind it and play it again. And, rewind. Mm -hmm. and with technology, the best part is, you know, I can just Netflix 15, yeah. 15, 15. And I will do this to a point where like my wife ha ha like loathes <laughs> me. But there was a scene and I want to ask you, you might not even yeah. remember this, but I laughed so fucking hard. I had to watch it for like an hour straight that um, Paul is trying to throw something, a shoe. Oh, yeah. Chris had yeah, thrown yeah, a yeah, shoe yeah. and it had hit the window to get his attention. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, why did you throw a shoe? You could have just texted me. And he's like, I don't know. And he continued on this like beautiful banter about whatever they were going to do that night. And then Chris is like, can you throw back my shoe? And when Paul throws it, he does it in a very like unathletic, on purpose lob yeah. and it misses. And Chris very like pleasantly goes, oh man, like it's it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal. But the moment that killed me was, and I got to know this wasn't in there. He looks down on the off the balcony where the shoes, and he goes, oh, there's other shoes down there. And I was like, that is, what a like a great, brilliant yeah. ad of this insane little, little snippet. So I watched it over and I told him how much I love that. Cause I was like, that's the kind of yeah. stuff that makes, to me makes TV just, amazing well there's no scenario that that's not an improv and, right and, and that is what i like about working like that because yeah. i feel like people have their own rhythm and so to force them into your rhythm feels wrong yeah so to say to to chris you know we're gonna create a situation where you can do your thing and we want to hit these beats and we like these jokes and we'll try them and but you also can play and right. drift off you know that's when you great get great stuff you know mike mitchell was on, on that show too. Yeah. And he would do the same thing with Claudia right. O'Darty. Like he was so funny um, from the Doughboys. Mm -hmm. uh, and he is very, very and funny. That's my favorite thing because I don't, you know, I'm proud when I write a joke, but I'm just as proud at creating a scenario where someone else can think of a joke. That makes it even stronger. Yeah. I mean, as long as it happens. You well, know, I, I always say to everybody, I'm the anti Aaron Sorkin. I want to write none of it. <laughs> <laughs> in here we pour whiskey hey if you're looking to create your idea into something reality based go ahead and use Squarespace to create a beautiful new website for yourself whether you're selling something publishing you just want to chat you want to make your own uh, podcast page website to tour if you're a musician an artist graphic designer really whatever you're making Squarespace is the best we use Squarespace to make our site I think it's incredible and it was easy even for a stupid guy like me to do trust me I'm very dumb and uh, it was extremely easy. They have these beautiful templates. And if you don't want to use those, you don't have to. You can just go rogue. But they have 24-7 award-winning customer support to help you kind of figure out how to make your website unique for you to whatever you're selling or publishing or talking about. Um, and truly is uh, one of the best I've ever used, uh, Squarespace. And it's uh, nothing to patch or upgrade ever. It's free and secure hosting. And has built-in search engine optimization with uh, incredible analytics to tell you what's really going on on your site of who's searching and what they're buying, what they're purchasing, what they're looking at, what they're clicking on. Um, it's powerful e-commerce functionality. Uh, it just lets you sell pretty much everything online. And uh, the new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. Pretty impressive. If you're in need of a website, do yourself a favor like we did. Go to squarespace.com whiskey for a free trial. 
And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code WHISKEY to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, squarespace.com slash whiskey. That promo code is WHISKEY for 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's the thing that I think I was always had trouble with was saying the right thing the right way all the time. Uh, and that's why I was never good at, you know, I tried multicam. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried hybrids. I bombed all of them. I mean, they're bringing back uh, How I Met Your Father, this kind of yes. How I Met Your Mother. I did the original pilot of that, which yeah. was... I mean, light it on fire and hide it, bury it and kill yeah. it. It's on the internet somewhere. And what do you think went wrong? All of it. Yeah. Is All it, of it. But is it a, a, a casting thing? Is it a, a writing question? Is it tone? I can, I, can, I can actually tell you literally, and I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I went, I had never seen How I Met Your Mother. That, you, you didn't do your homework? Okay, we're time. done. I never we're do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> no prep But whatsoever. I'd never seen it. And so I went home and I watched it after I got the job. And I was like, oh, I get what the show is. But the show that we were making was nothing like this because Greta Gerwig had gotten a big contract to write it, produce it, act yeah. in it. And I liked Greta, but I thought this is going to be hard. She's not. This is such a different world for her. Right. Yeah. It's just so opposite. of had what she, she watched the show. I hope. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, doubt it. <laughs> Maybe not. But that element of her kind of being out of what she's the best at was, I think, confusing and tough for yeah. them to get the rhythm right. And. There were so many good people a part of it that I was like, it's almost too rich with, it's like too filled with riches that you're like, this feels weird. Like even the first day, Pam Fryman was directing it and, and you know, and uh, she was like, this this feels like this is going to be great. And people were chatting like, where are you going to live in New York? Because the guys had moved to New York. You already. always have to have that talk. Yeah. You always got to count where are you your money. Live in New York? Yeah. What are you going to do? Because yeah. you know, the great thing about sitcoms is you do these pilots and everyone knows what they'll make for this series. Right. Right. So, so you find out even before you get the part, you have to sign a contract when you're auditioning. That's like, you're going to make $30,000 an episode, but you haven't gotten the job yet. Right. So you can start fantasizing about your like, world. What am I going to do with all this money? Yeah. yeah. And, and every pilot, people think it. You nailed it. There's right. no pilot that gets shot where everyone's like, that really didn't work. Everyone is sure this it's one. happening. That was the one. This was the one. We all knew. It was very a vibe amongst all of us. I mean, yeah. we all kind of talked in our own little separate groups. Yeah. I mean, they had hired and fired three different girls to play her best friend. Yeah, not a good sign. It was just, a, it was, I was like, yeah. what's happening? And it tumbled through this thing. But anyway, they're bringing that show back. And which, you have to star in it now. And I have to be, I am <laughs> Greta's part. Yes, I have to be the female lead. But Meg Ryan did the voiceover for it. I mean, the amount of people they put behind it, um, and I'm being, I'm, I'm so blank-minded, but Emily, um, shit, she did uh, Will Forte's show, um, The Last Man on Earth. Emily, mm -hmm. uh, she's a great producer and writer. Oh, man, I feel like you know her, so you would know her. I, yeah, I know This is going to kill about. me. Yeah, she was a part of it, and she's so brilliant and a great joke writer. Mm -hmm. The problem, going back to what it was for me, was they wanted to hit these jokes so on the head because CBS was very stringent upon all of these little elements being perfect. And I felt the whole time how bad I was. As a comic, I prided myself in telling jokes at good, you know, good timing. I was so bad at this timing. It was it was hard every day. I would go home and be like, man, this is not. That reminds me of a story I've told before, but it still applies, which is when I uh, first moved to town and I was going to USC and I was doing stand up, I would do stand up at Sammy Shore, Paul, uh, uh, you know, Paulie's dad, yeah. had a little club that I booked for him when I went to college. Where USC. was it? It was called uh, um, Sammy's by the Shore, and it was on like Admiralty Way in um, uh, Marina Del Rey. Yeah. And some agent saw me, sent me to an acting coach, 
wanted to send me out on pilot season and wow. I'm 19 or 20 years old and, and very excited. But I've never acted before. Literally never said a word of acting before. Mm-hmm. Like nothing, not a school play, <laughs> nothing. So I go to this acting coach who's supposed to figure out if I can do this. Yeah. And the guy doesn't teach me to act. He just asked me to read this scene from a TV show called My Sister Sam. And the scene was so terrible that it was impossible to even say out loud Mm -hmm. because every joke was like, well, that's why my sister came here today. Like (laughs) everything was the worst joke ever. And I couldn't even understand how you would say it. And then the agent called me and said, yeah, I I don't want to represent you. And that literally was the end of my acting career. That was the end of it. And I was so broken and shamed by the experience that I thought, okay, well, I've been told by professionals this is not my future. One one guy is all it took for you. Well, Just to go, I don't want to work with you. This is why they say- and Where know, is that guy? Uh, he's still a big acting coach. He, uh, he really is. <laughs> Shit. That's the funny part. All right, he was right. Whatever. Uh, but also, he certainly didn't try to figure out my skill level, what he could teach me. It was a, right. a, a, a supportive situation. But that is something about the business, which is if you don't have the, you know, the fortitude after that to go, fuck him. Right. I'm going to go take classes now. Right, right. Uh, you know, that's why most people leave town. You know, you know, my kids act. And I always say to them, you know, 90% of it is not quitting because everybody quits. Yeah. People come here and we've seen yeah. 10,000 of them and they leave. It, just by staying in, you're, you're ahead Increases of most your people. odds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which is why it's funny when people left LA after, during the pandemic, they're like, I'm out of here. I was like, good. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> the less assholes they have to, to clog yeah. up this system. It is, yeah. it is, it is a, lo- a game of longevity, which is also proven in what, in my first love, which has always been stand-up, is it's longevity, it's skill set. But like the best comics typically make it later in life because it's, lo- it's a long play yeah. game. It's hard for, I mean, guys that you know and you've worked with in the comedy world, there is a very rare few, someone like Bo that you brought up who made it young because of his talent, and now has kind of stepped away a little bit from stand up and focused on other things. He's a, he is a, he's, it doesn't exist what he did to make yeah. it that young. At, what was he, 18 or 19 or, well, well 17 was, is when he started I making think he was them. like 16, 17. Yeah, when he was making the, the videos, videos upstairs. And I think that he's, he is a, an exception to the rule that like most yeah. comics that, you know, especially guys that are close to me, Burr, someone who made it later, you know, Sebastian, like guys that are really hitting their strides. It just takes a long time to stay in it, which is funny yeah. because you walked away for a while mm-hmm. and then came back. And then I would see you all the time at the store with, you know, a Bible sized notebook filled with notes falling out of it. I mean, you it was such a cartoon version of <laughs> Judd coming to the comedy store. I was like, here comes Judd, like papers flying out. Yeah. Like, I feel I feel like a bully pushed you and you had to pick them up fast. Yes. And you're like, I'm late for the set. And you were like running on stage. Like that was always your I think part of the. I think part of what you liked as an outsider, even I might be wrong. I, I think you liked the hasteness of like getting up. It was like you were yeah. almost always like, ah, go and get up. And yeah. that helped the performance a little bit. Yeah. And also, I, I think one of my issues just emotionally with creativity was this belief that I'm not interesting. Mm. And so I have to fight through that to do stand up. Right. And even to write about personal things. It took me a long time to think, oh, I'm interesting, or at least my life experience is relatable enough that people want to know about it and it, they relate to it mm-hmm. in some way, even if it's something as simple as marriage or having a baby or things like that. But for, but my instinct in my head is, 
who gives a shit? No one gives a shit. Just shut up. That's all of us. I think so. I, I, feel, like I, that, pretty, I feel like that a lot. It's a pretty loud voice. So doing stand-up is almost a way of uh, programming my brain to have some self-esteem and yeah. to think that I have something to say. And now it's it's debatable how much self-esteem I deserve to have. But it, it, but it's helpful for me to, to get up there and do it. Although I have to say during the pandemic, I didn't write one joke. No. Not Pete Holmes just had talked to this, talked to me about this. That he came and we did a set together at uh, this, the Supernova, this uh, show in Hollywood. And, and Pete and I don't really have never really known each other. We know of each other and that kind of peripheral comedy yeah. thing. We're like, yeah, we know that guy. But but he was like, man, what have you been doing? Like, where have you been sneaking up and getting sets? But I was like, I did write a bunch of stuff during it, and then I tried it out where I could. Yeah. And he was like, I don't know how you've been doing it because that's. I tried to write a bunch of stuff. A lot of it was trash, and so. It, but a lot of it had notions of things that I would I'll add later. That's mm -hmm. my thing is like, I'll write a bunch of bullshit, but maybe like 5% of it will have a nugget of a thing that'll lead me down a better path in the future. But, but I felt like the world had dropped out, right? Yeah. So to me, the idea of writing stand-up and also writing anything felt like, let's say there was a nuclear power plant in LA that had a meltdown. Mm. And we can only hope. And most of the city didn't exist. But yet we all thought in a year, maybe things would get back to normal. Can I write about my observations of normal life and yeah. my family while the wreckage, I'm still walking through the Mad Max wreckage. So the movie I wrote was about people trying to shoot a movie during the pandemic because I couldn't get out of the head of, of the... Of well, I'm in this now. I, I can't just talk about the bullshit I always talk about because that world actually doesn't exist. Yeah. Even the world of my kids and trying to get along with my kids and them having, you know, boyfriends and how I relate to it, it just felt like, well, that's for later, I guess. I don't yeah. I wouldn't know like how to I had write to, about I it. I had to put down a bunch of shit because of the dynamic shift that happened of like but the about what? The changing guards of 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 the White House. I mean, like yeah. the shift of what happened politically yeah. so you and political. globally. You were... No, and I usually don't, which is weird. Yeah. But like I have to shit on all that because it's it's all that I felt. There was yeah. nothing else going on but politics being jammed down your throat during the middle of the pandemic yeah. of left versus right. And who started this? And who's the, who's the real aggressor? And who's the victim? And because of that, I had to shit on it. Now, it goes elsewhere after it, but it starts from that place yeah. of like, you know, wh why did we think that this was going to be the fix? And why did we think that these people were really looking out for us? And how come mm. we can't believe in these things? I think that's where it starts. And then you digress into the yeah. other subcategory. I mean, Fauci is great. It's great to start with Fauci, you know? Yeah. Because he's so cute. <laughs> he's just a cute, he, what a cute symbol of uh, scientific hope. You know Can what I, I say what my issues were? Like if I was doing stand-up, yeah. I would have talked about. Yeah. And obviously I'm a progressive person. But you're alt right, weren't you alt right for years? Well, I I, I had an awakening, and, and you wanted to start proud to, men, but proud exactly. proud boys. Well, sued I've always you. been proud, and right. I don't. I, and you should be allowed <laughs> to say that. But I always thought all those people around Trump, and this is could be completely wrong. Yeah. But I always thought that they should hold a press conference and go, "He's going to kill all of you." Yeah. And and. I know that everyone secretly is behind the scenes trying to get the vaccine made and they're like, we have this lunatic person and we have to get this job done mm -hmm. before he kills everyone. Mm -hmm. But I also felt like we needed more people to go. He knows how bad it is. He's not telling you. Yeah. As a political 
choice. As, as a calculation, he thinks he can get reelected by turning us against each other. And he's hiding the truth of what's happening. That it was important that there were more whistleblowers. There were some that uh, Dr. Bright and, a few. and all that. But I was upset about that. I, I, I thought someone needed to go we are in so much danger that this guy is such a lunatic right Right now. This is the worst human in the world to deal with this. Well, I text Chris Christie sometimes, and him and I really get into it. You know, he really tells me all his deep, dark secrets. And Rudy and I, Giuliani, we have lunch every other week. I have Um, so many pictures with Rudy from years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that so funny? Like I was on The Tonight Show, and he was So I have so many pictures of me just with a big smile on my face, him with a big smile on his face. How could you not? That's going to exist in the rest of your life, that you're going to have photos of people. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like That will just only continue to come up. Also, you're you're born and raised in New York. Yes. yes. So you know the, the Rudy of old is different than the Rudy of now anyway. I know Rudy fighting the mafia, Rudy. Right. Was he stopping Frisk? Um... I'm sure that he he was. he was like a part of that, right? He also was about shutting down parts of the city right. uh, that had uh, both the arts in them, but also the seedier part of the city. So people felt yeah. like the city really changed and was somewhat uh, disnified. Right. That's right. Uh, that's why they. But I don't know if you could really fight to keep your porno theaters. So I, I'm not sure. You could ultimately what it could have been. We do it here in L.A. Yeah. Studs Theater, man. I I I gave them ten grand so they could keep those doors open, which yeah. is why we don't have AC in this place. Yeah. Because that's you quiet. Get so much money to Studs to Theater. Them. Yes. Well, dude, somebody needs to. You need a place to go to watch. I think it is weird that that Studs Theater. I used to live there next to there in West Hollywood, uh, not too far, and I thought. The internet's been around for so long now. I don't know why you'd want to go to a theater other than the communal aspect of watching porn together in a room, which I think yeah. might be fun. I think there's something I've there. I've never done that. Watch porno with other people? No, but I remember Fred Willard got in trouble for being in a porno theater very late in his life. He did? Yeah. And I don't know why it was a big deal. I don't know if he was arrested or or what happened specifically. But anyway, he was in a porno theater. And unlike other people... Just doing his taxes? Uh, one assumes. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's old school. Maybe he just enjoys the theater space. Yeah. <laughs> but then he went on The Tonight Show, I think, and just made jokes about it. He just did the thing no one really does. Yeah. Because he completely dismissed the controversy, made three hilarious jokes about right. it. They read. And the world was like, yeah, that's... Well, so. because also, I think with that kind of stuff, there's it's not illegal. I mean, we live in this weird puritanical society where we do this thing sometimes where we like we judge the the moral compass of people's decisions if they're not illegal it's like he didn't do anything illegal so you're just judging it based on the idea you don't like the behavior that he went inside of a porno theater i'm not sure what would be illegal is there i think you can't masturbate in there i think you can't pull your genitals out yeah but i don't know it's a form of torture right to have porno theaters with that rule right they have to have they they give you books to put on your crotch so you don't get a hard on (laughs) or for the cops even break in right Hands up! Knowing it's one hand up on everyone. It's, it's a setup. The whole thing is a setup. <laughs> it is. It's bound. It's bound to fail. It's just. A, it's a. It's a bad idea to begin with. Also, yeah, because Paul Rubin, he got caught in a theater as well. Mm-hmm. Same. Same idea. But I remember because he was Pee Wee Herman. That's why they got mad at him. He couldn't go on a show and make jokes because he was a kid programmer. Yeah. If you did kid programming, it's like you're not allowed to do that. Fred can do that. You know, it's like well, he, he's a comic. It's he's an adult. He does comedy for adults. I don't I don't understand any of that stuff of like the moral compass of people wagging their finger. Like I, you know, and I rewatched the Tiger Woods documentary, the same thing of like It was amazing that documentary. It was incredible, probably one of the best I've ever seen them put together. And 
ultimately a very compassionate documentary about child abuse, really. Yeah, when truly. You, about his dad a, was a terrible person. Yeah, who, who who trained him to be this force, but messed with his head. Yeah, screwed him up sexually. Uh, screwed him up in in terms of how he related to the people and and the world. But I'll tell you, at the end of that documentary, I, I was bawling. It, it I found it so emotional. Just that they started talking about him just being nice to the other golfers, that he was finally connecting with people in a real way. Right. After never really having those types of relationships, yeah. it became a story of healing. And that is my favorite thing. Sometimes, you know, people think it's corny, but I do want to watch stuff about the human struggle and see people get a little better. They don't even have to get a lot better. Just a little. Just a little. Like, yeah, there's movies that are kind of cool and independent because at the end you shoot the lead in the head and it's over and you watch his blood spill out and everyone's like, well, that's an artist. But I do love that. Uh, it's not a it's not a hard choice to make, the dark choice. Right. You, you know, it's not, it's not difficult. I mean, when you can really pull off something like that documentary where you are so invested in his emotional journey, yeah, you forget about the sports thing. Yeah. And, and, and when they have that section where they're talking about how mean everyone was to him when he was getting divorced and to his wife. And then at the end when he wins the Masters. And it means something else, right? It's just about someone who doesn't give up. And 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 then, of course, he just got in a car accident. So what does it mean? I don't know. Maybe it was all bullshit. <laughs> we go dark at the end. That's how we do it. We have to go dark at the end. The that story of redemption, the like, anyway, he flipped a Yukon going 85 by Terranea or whatever. <laughs> do you think, like, the people who made that movie just go, we need a let's just add 10 seconds after the credits yeah. to catch you we up. We just need a little bit of something just to give you full speed spectrum yeah. of what's happening. Would but, you go 80 at like 7.30 in the morning and on a, I do. a, a 30 mile an hour zone? Like, would you ever do that? Uh, uh, Fancy and I, we actually take a trip uh, every Sunday morning. He has uh, he has a McLaren 720S and we'll drive it <laughs> up the coast and we do this game where we say, it's look, ma, no hands. And so we yeah. do look, ma, no hands. You close your eyes, you let go of the wheel and he has to drive it yeah. from the passenger side, which yeah. is also, it's tough to do. Yeah, at and that speed. We go about 95 to 110. Yeah, yeah and... I like to risk it. I just so figure, why so not? So far, yeah, we're still here. We're sitting here with you. Yeah. I, I breezed over this mentally, but I do want to ask you, what do you think was, because you were talking about when you were writing, you know, we were talking about the tough of writing during the pandemic. What do you think, do you remember the first personal thing you put down? Like that you, that you instead of just writing a comedy script or, or, or a script from like somewhat semi taken from your personal experience, do you remember the moment you were like, oh, this is really a piece of me I'm putting down on the thing and I'm a little anxious about it about putting it out to the world i the first like really personal thing you put down yeah i think that uh you know the one that uh was meaningful to me 40 year old virgin was some d well yes very much so but yeah but probably the some freaks and geeks details that were specific to to, to me. your real high school experience uh so when I was a kid, my parents got divorced. Paul Feig's parents didn't get divorced. So when there were broken homes in the show, mm -hmm. I, I was always pitching a lot on that and what that felt <laughs> right, like. Right. It was an episode uh, that uh, J. Elvis Weinstein wrote, I think. Um, and it was about Sam Levine's character, Neil. And, and he finds out that his dad's cheating on his mom. And how he deals with it is becoming obsessed with ventriloquism. And I, 
really related to this idea <laughs> of being interested in the arts, like whatever, stand-up or magic. Sure. You know, that that is a funny nerd's reaction to trauma, stress, trauma, <laughs> yeah. and anxiety is to become obsessed with something. Right. I have to fill my time. And I remember like practicing juggling or I knew people were doing magic and making money. I'm like, I gotta learn magic so I could make money mm-hmm. when I'm like 13 or, or right. 14. And in the big scene, he's like doing the ventriloquism in his parents' party and just goes off on the dad. Right. As as the puppet. <laughs> and, you know, those kind of things, uh, you know, and, and I, I didn't write the episode, but just in terms of pitching in the room and and sharing your pain, uh, that's what I, I did at Freaks and Geeks. I tried to just be as honest as I could about how, how strange it felt having step-parents. Yeah. Uh, on both sides that you're just you're just like a little kid and you're uncomfortable and you're guilty and so there was an episode where bill's dad i mean bill's mom starts dating the gym teacher Mm -hmm. and that was an episode i directed and there was a scene where bill comes home alone after school and he watches shandling on the dinosaur show and it's to this who song called I'm One. And it's just him watching Shandling eating cake and grilled cheese. And he, it's just him laughing to Shandling being hilarious. Uh, you don't hear anything Gary says. It's just all to the who. Right. And that was my entire childhood, was coming home after school. My friends would play sports, and I would watch like the Mike Douglas show. <laughs> and and, and eat cake and grilled and cheese? Eat, yeah, I'd watch Jeff Altman or Michael Keaton do stand-up. Yeah. And that was my friend. And so when you watch that. It's a really sad scene. But it's how I felt my whole childhood. It's like yeah. you watching The Tonight Show. There's yeah. something, you know, when you're a kid, you get such comfort from these imaginary relationships. It's very Rupert Pupkin. Yeah. Because in your head, I'm friends with Those Dinah are my Shore, best friends. Yeah. Merv Griffin. Right. I, I mean, I spent more time with them than my real friends. In here, we pour whiskey. Whisk Gin fans, do you have the dreaded anxiety bug inside of you? I know I do. If you experience existential dread and question life at any moment in time, spend an afternoon thinking about stuff that you did a long time ago and something stupid you said to somebody at a party and then made a weird snort noise and just walked away and went to the bathroom to wash your hands for 25 minutes, Sunday Scaries has got you covered. Luckily, you don't got to curl up in a ball and cry like a freaking baby every time you think about that stuff. Sunday Scaries is the perfect CBD products that are going to make your questionable decisions more bearable. Overcome that uh, the traveling woes of the new year um, and all of the ongoing life problems that we all experience. This is perfect for creatives, uh, people on the go, party animals, um, people in between. Everybody, whoever you are, if you have a little bit of anxiety, it's time to dominate it with 2021 CBD by Sunday Scaries. Scare free. Let's live it like that. 25% off at sundayscaries.com. You can get 25% off at sundayscaries.com. Use that promo code WHISKEY. 25% off. That's a quarter, if you don't know, of the price at sundayscaries.com with the promo code WHISKEY. And thank you, Sunday Scaries, for making Sundays chill once again. Ginger. I like gingers. When you when you say that, uh, it just you brought the image in my head because I used to eat hot dogs cold because I didn't I couldn't reach the microwave, so I would just grab hot dogs and wrap them in American cheese and I would yeah. sit and watch Carson and my mom. Are hot dogs pre cooked? They're all pre cooked. Oh, I didn't. Cold, I, that's why I, I say still cold have hot never dogs. quite known if they're yeah. pre cooked. And, and 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 I'm alive, so either way, no, they're all pre cooked. Yeah. But it's but I would eat them cold. That's why I used to say raw hot dogs, but there there's no such thing. But I'd eat them cold with wrapped in American cheese, and my mom would be like, "Did you?" Were you eating last night? Did you sneak in outside and watch yeah. Carson? And I'd say, no way. And she'd find American cheese wrappers hidden in, all over the home, <laughs> like in the bathroom drawers yeah. and stuff. Because yeah. I, 
was embarrassed that I would sit and just eat and eat and eat and watch yeah. Carson. But I, it was very comforting. But for me, it's interesting you say that just because like for me, it wasn't a trauma response much as it was like, a, you know, like my parents got divorced when I was one. I don't know them together. Yeah. So there was none of that, th those moments that you talk about where I hear it from friends, the shattering of the home. But it was like, I never even knew those people in the same room. Yeah. So for me, the, the entertainment or the comedy aspect that came into my life was because my grandfather used to make fun of everything. I mean, he he was just, he's a Chicago firefighter and one of the funniest guys I ever knew. All he did was shit on stuff. And I loved the quippiness. I, it it yeah. gave comfort to like, you know, they, they I, poor is the wrong word, but you know, broke is probably the right word, you know, because that era, you could just make enough money to get by and it was fine. And I think that was his always his response to the haves, you know, because the have nots would always shit on the haves and punch sure. up. And so then I kind of learned that. And that's where I got my comedy itch from. And was, was I, he alive your whole childhood? Yeah, he passed. He only passed away less than a decade ago. Oh, yeah, he great. was my hero. As far as comedy goes, yeah. he was just so fast. Like he was just he could he could make a joke out of something quite tragic and quite sad. And I think that was just their their response always to you know, what it was like being kind of always the poor working class have-nots, you know? And being a firefighter, I, I, you know, I got to be around a lot of firefighters by working with Pete Davidson yeah. on King of Staten Island. And they're just the greatest. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it's hard to even get across to people who haven't spent time with firefighters. And I hadn't before that. Right. You, you know, we're living in a world of pure ego. So we're trying to be creative, but we're really feeding our ego and our career and our success. And to be around people who've made a choice to have this job, which isn't the greatest paying job in the world. No. A lot of times they have to have other jobs simultaneously to pull it off. And every day they go to work and really all they're doing at work is trying to help somebody. Yeah. Every second of the day. That's that's their thing. And I said to one of the firefighters, is it boring? Because a lot of it is just you go somewhere and nothing's really happening or it's right. bullshit. right. And the guy said, you know, I know it sounds corny, but I kind of just like helping people. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. Uh, and there's a spirit when those people are together with each other. They're also doing that for each other in the in the firehouse. Right. And obviously, they're not perfect people. They have the problems just like everybody else. But it's very different than what we do. Well, we're bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're fantasy children. <laughs> it was nice to just know that that existed. Right. Because when people talk about 9-11... What is that? Uh, it's uh, a date in history oh. uh, where there was a tragic event. Hmm. Um, I'll have to look it up. They they would do that the next day. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, when you're really around those people and the bell goes off and they run out and your heart pounds thinking, where the fuck are they going? Because yeah. while we're shooting in the firehouse, the real people are there working. Having to go out yeah. on calls. And I'm we're seeing them leave. And and really, it, you get scared every Every Sing, time. Single time. And 9-11 and wasn't a special day. It was any day mm -hmm. to those people. They're always going to walk in that building. And they're they're going to walk in the building two days later, even after that happened. Yeah. And and it takes a special kind of mindset to go, yeah, I'm going to put it all on the line for other people. And as a result of it, they have a, they have an amazing spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have to because they're sacrificial. They're like, yeah. oh, well, I guess I, this is... My goal is to just take care of the thing and I'll worry about me second. I'm busy in the basement tying my shoes. Yeah. I'm like, I'll be up in a minute, you know, yeah. and the truck is gone. I'm like, shit, I missed you guys. That's me. Yeah. I'll stay and cook. That's why we hired out. Burr in the movie because we needed yeah. someone like your grandfather. Yeah. We needed to have someone hysterical 
in that space to go, yeah. yes, there's something wonderful uh, and selfless about it, but also they're just busting balls all day long and they're they're so funny and there's a this, you know, it's a, there's like a strange summer camp vibe yeah, no, it is. It also. It's because the boys are back. You know, like whenever I used to run past... By the way, you could have um, hired me as Burr's kid, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah. And definitely. But, <laughs> I, but I don't want him to hear that because uh, we're not that far in age. But he... But there, every time I used to walk past the West Hollywood Fire de- Department when I was going to like uh, Lubitsch or something to do a set, those guys sometimes would be out late at night like playing ball or hanging mm-hmm. out in the streets just mm-hmm. to like... Ca- just have their night exercise... And I was like, oh, God, that is like, it is like camp. It's just like you get to, you're meeting up with you. It seems like the camaraderie is so strong. That probably aids in the thing that we're talking about. Whereas like the sacrifice part is because, well, they're all doing it. So they're all in on this game together. Yeah. You know, it's almost and like. they have to be in shape for each other. Oh, yeah. You have to be in good shape to save for those calendars. Oh, right. And the, <laughs> and the calendars. You do need to be in good shape. Should we do a uh, director, actor, producer calendar of me, of regular bodies? Exactly. Why don't they do that regular bodies? You know, they took a poll yeah. mm-hmm. of, I can't remember what magazine did it, but they took a poll of like from from um, porn stars and uh, 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 sex workers, like OnlyFans also. And it was like 70 something percent of women preferred regular dad bod, quote unquote, mm-hmm to guy who has too many muscles because guy who has all the muscles is going to spend more time on himself than he ever would on you. And I was like, that's, see, that's the influence that we need to be putting out there. I've been doing trying it my whole life. It's know, working. I, I mean, I, I've talked about it on stage, but th- someone said that you got to read this article about dad bods and I clicked on it and the picture in the article was me. <laughs> it literally <laughs> was like, I was like the definition of it. Um, but it's funny because Mark Wahlberg, I guess, is doing some movie now where he's supposed to be out of shape. Out of shape? Out of shape. And he's, you know, he literally would get up, at, I think, three in the morning and start yeah, working I've, out. The schedule is obnoxious. And, but now he's, he's looks like me or, or worse or kind of the same. And he posted a picture of it like last week. On Instagram or something? Yeah. Yeah. And people loved it so much. They yeah. were so thrilled to see him out of shape. And then I think Will Smith then posted his like pandemic out of shape. Well, he's doing a body. challenge to get in shape. He's doing this whole like, who can, I think Will Smith is doing it because he's so, he's monetizing it. Yes, he's so skilled and talented. He can go, I will, I'll eat shit for a week and then watch me get in even better shape than I was in before. Yeah. That's what cool guys can do. Yeah. I, 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 I try I, that challenge. I would gain one pound over the course of all of that, look worse, lose more hair. It just wouldn't work out. You know no. what I mean? It's, it's nice to know. That I've allowed it all to fall apart. Like I'm, I'm, I'm moving so fast to looking like Mel Blanc or Lou Jacoby. <laughs> and my wife gets so upset because you know when we go out, I have got it down where I'm not joking. From the moment she says, "Let's, we're gonna leave in five minutes," I can take a shower and get dressed. Five minutes. In five, I, mean, I could be in the shower in two minutes, put on my clothes, throw my hair to the side, put on deodorant, and be in my sneakers. And ready, she ready says. To leave. Well, she's just so annoyed at that, it, and it keeps getting reduced and reduced and reduced. She wants me to care more. Yeah, you know, but they they do. They want you to care. They want me to care because also that's part of when you're married for a long time. There's this agreement that you won't fall apart. Right. Like well, I, I won't make myself someone you don't want to be with. So I are you upholding your end of the agreement? I'm I'm in the border. I'm, I'm right. Like, like I, 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 
it's, she's not furious about it. I lost a bunch of weight during the pandemic, like 16, 17 pounds. I put on about half of it in the last few months. And there was a moment of pride where I saw 189 for the first time in decades. Yeah. And I was like, wow, 180. I mean, the 180s. And then <laughs> now I'm right back at 200. So I have to. You got to get a one, you got to get a 189 tattoo on your wrist to remind you <laughs> how girls have breathe on their wrist. You know that's what you need. 189 yeah. is your what's your secret? What's your late I've asked this to so many guests. What's your what's your shitty late night or you're just your shitty guilty thing that you're like, "Well, this is why I gain weight because I can't get away from eating this shit." I can eat perfect meals all day and then be eating like nachos, well just like chips, chocolate covered almonds. Mm -hmm you know, uh, uh, some sort of power bar that I've convinced myself is healthy, but isn't. Right, it's just all sugar. Maybe I'll be like quietly pounding an enormous amount of raisins or something, but it's yeah. just enough to never lose weight. Right. You know, like it's I'd have consistent. to eliminate that. Yeah, like if I could eliminate all of that and just have a piece of salmon. But you don't have a, you don't have a shit thing that you go to every time that's like a, this is the bad thing. Like ice cream is yeah. my yeah, late yeah. night, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna eat ice cream. Like during the pandemic, there was early in the pandemic, there was a moment where, for the first time in my life, and it seems weird, but the first time ever where I ate a pint of ice cream and then ate another pint of ice cream. <laughs> that, was the, the, that was as far as I've ever gone. The bang, bang. I, and I never even considered it. Like, right. oh, you could just start the next one. You're allowed to keep going. And with the cholesterol and all that, I mean, it's literally like 3,000 milligrams of cholesterol. Uh, it's a lot. That was bad. So I can go to the ice cream because when, I have a thing. I love being stuffed. Oh, you love feeling full. I love feeling full. I love like almost passing out from being full. I like when all the blood leaves my head <laughs> and goes to my stomach. Like I, it's a, You know what it's from when I was a kid? I swear to God, we used to eat McDonald's like five days a week. We used to eat it all the time as a kid, yeah. And, and I would have two quarter pounders with nothing on them. No ketchup, no nothing. Just the meat and the buns? Yeah. Then I'd have a hamburger, nothing on it, a large fries, a small fries, a shake, and a Diet Coke. And I would get so stuffed, and I lo I loved it. I yeah. think all the recipes are different now. I haven't had McDonald's in, you know, why decade? We've I've talked about this. People always say that I don't they eat changed McDonald's. Changed everything. It's, it the it fries doesn't taste are different. As good. Yeah, whatever. The pink slime. I don't know. Oh, what, the sludge what, chicken. I, yeah, I mean, none of it is what it felt like as a kid, where it did feel like there was some burger in there somewhere. There was. There was. I mean, it used to be non-frozen meat once they learned that they could freeze it mcdonald's was like we're not yeah. paying for refrigeration anymore we're gonna yeah. freeze this stuff so there was glory days i guess of, of McDonald's. the mcdonald's so yeah. i think i'm chasing my mcdonald's hot <laughs> <laughs> go to in and out that's the yeah. that's the move just get one of those uh i just i have ice cream at night mm. and uh I, i'm uh you know i'm a booze and beer drinker and mm. and we're only not drinking now because um because judd was drinking all morning already and he said yeah. no more for me but I can't not have a beer when we go have like a burger. Like it's like I want to have a couple of beers and a burger. And I know that once a week I'm going to my favorite spot to go get a burger and a couple of beers. Yeah. And that added on to the other shit that I sneak in. It's always going to keep me in fluctuation. Like it's just yeah. I'm never going to break out of that. I'd like to think one day I could stop that stuff, but it's never going to. I'd rather just die yeah. with it, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's probably the worst podcast subject because we could both just start weeping right now. We could cry. We could cry about our struggle. Our sadness. Our sadness that we can't just eat all day long. But also eating <laughs> has always been such joy. Yeah. Like you know like when I was a kid, we really loved to we loved to eat. We talked about it. I remember right. me and my friends as kids 
you know, we would be like, let's go buy shrimp and cook it. Like we realized that you can buy it and cook it yourself. Self, yeah. And we loved it. Like, like the discovery of that when you're like 14 or 15, yeah. like we could buy a lobster and try to cook it. Pool your money and buy a lobster. <laughs> and then going to like Beefsteak Charlie's. Like when we realized there were restaurants that were all you can eat when we were like 15, like, wait a second, they'll keep giving us ribs? Yeah, hometown buffet. That's what we did. Made you so lose happy. Our mind. Yeah. I want to ask you one thing about this New York Mets. Yeah. This shirt. You mm-hmm. threw out the first pitch. I've openly played that and laughed at it because it's very funny. Yeah, it, it is, is very it, funny. <laughs> and I only say this because I love you. But you, but you, when you throw it, I don't even think you were happy with the throw because the clip you go like this. I like you were annoyed with your performance, and it made me laugh that well, you were like, I, I have "Oh, to backtrack fuck. the whole thing." They asked me to do it like two days before. Oh, and when they asked me, I instantly realized that I had not thrown a hard ball, <laughs> like in a real way, since I was fourteen like years play old. Catch, yeah. yeah. Like since, so now it's. You know, it's so long since I've thrown a ball. And when you throw a ball mm-hmm. after not having thrown a ball. Yeah. Do it on TV. You start thinking about your mechanics. Yeah. And you start thinking like, do I throw it over my head to the side? And if you are conscious of it, it's like trying to think while playing the piano. The whole thing crumbles. Right. This is why people fuck it up. <laughs> because you can't. It has, you have to be in a non-thinking head. So when you right. see like George Bush do it and he's great. Well, there's because, nothing up there. He's not thinking. He's, he's thinking like, about painting just, horses. Yeah, he just whips it and he's done it and he doesn't give a shit. But when when people think about it, you you it, it could go straight to the side. Anything can happen. 50 cent. Yeah. So I practiced and my arm instantly hurt because I hadn't used any of those muscles. I get there that day. They take you underneath like the stadium and there's like a place where you can practice on a mound. They always say throw high. There's like it's like an optical illusion when you're on the mound. You have to throw higher than you think. Right. So now that's in your head. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. And then I'm out on the side and they're, and I'm waiting for them to call me out. And so they call me out and I think someone's going to be there to walk me through it a little bit. <laughs> like I don't know like- why. I just thought <laughs> I'll get to the mound and someone will tell me what happens now. Right. But they just like say my name. Go. And I've talked about this in standup. When they say my name... Like, not many people applaud. And so <laughs> what I'm thinking as I run to the mound is I've just found out how little people like me. Right. Because it wasn't like, you know, here's Jay-Z and the place explodes. It was Mets Yankees sold out, by the way. It was pretty quiet. And so as I'm running to the mound, my feelings are hurt. Sure. Because, you know, you could delude yourself into thinking, well, I've made good movies. Maybe even New York likes me. I'm New York's son. No, no one gives a shit at all. It literally is like, you know, a local, you know, city, you know, local legislator. Yeah, yeah, it's done. And so then suddenly they're just like, do it. And so now I'm in a panic. And uh, I, w- I remember like Jacob deGrom was like in the outfield near me. And it's also awkward because I thought, am I supposed to go say hi to him? Or not. Right. Or do I stay on the mound? Or do I run out in the field? He's like 20 feet away. Right. And I was just disorganized. Like, should he come say hi to me? Like, are we supposed to have like a little moment? But no, <laughs> he doesn't move. So I'm like, all that starts right. hitting my head. And then it's like, throw the ball. They literally say like, throw the pitch. <laughs> and in a panic, I throw it. It was straight, but it did not reach the plate. It, it, it hit the dirt right. and rolled in. And I said to myself, 
I would like this either to be the worst pitch ever or do it solid. So at least there's a funny at least story. There's something, yeah. And it wasn't bad enough to be kind of a great bad one. It was one. just right down the middle. It was it, So I, it left a bad taste in my mouth. And you, Keith Hernandez was there and Dwight Gooden. And, and, the gods. And did they boo you? If they razz you, it's fun. It wasn't bad enough to get some big boo. I think they didn't care about me at all. And and that's all I really took from it was I have not penetrated the consciousness of my home states. (laughs) (laughs) What if they say, come do it again? Will you do it again? I would do it again. I may have to try to do it for the Come on, Mets. Call him out again. At some point. Yeah, you don't have a choice. Get him out one more time. I think you need a redemption song. You need to get out there and have your moment and really kind of soak it up and then redeem yourself i think you need it i think you can't go out like i'm not that. in any reels of bad pitches so that's that's all i can say no you're not no it's not the 50 cent uh almost hit the dugout you're not in that realm but you but you're are you a big sports fan because you never played you just were a big fan as a kid but you weren't you weren't here's into how my brain works i can't remember anything from sports so if right. i watch a game and i and i think oh those are all the lakers the next day i can't remember any of their names or any stats right. so where comedy everything sticks for whatever reason with sports, I forget most of it. So it's hard for me to be a fan because my mem- my sports memory is bad. Where like Bob Costas could tell you every pitch he's seen yeah, ever. in his whole life. I don't have any of that. I-, I like basketball. I had season tickets to the Lakers for a long time and I don't anymore. And I like the Mets, but I'm fair weather. I'm a, I'm a playoffs guy. I jump back in at the playoffs. You ju- well, but but you've never but not you're not like a fair. Not, you won't root for the Yankees. Oh. I don't care enough to. You don't have that kind like of if thing. Like the, if the Yankees were in the World Series, I, I would root for them. Yeah, you would. Yeah, I, I'm not like territorial. You know, I'm a nerd, so like all the rules of what that's supposed to be, in my head, I rebel against. Sure, I know. But I, what's interesting to me is always like whenever someone says uh, nerds don't like sports. You know that old like, oh yeah, nerds don't like sports. Of all the sports, baseball is by and large, the nerdiest. It's all yeah. analytics. It's all statistics. Mm-hmm. It's all strategy. Yeah. It's chess. It's chess mm-hmm. with a bat and a ball. And that's why I always got annoyed when people said, it's like, no, uh, a lot of comics used to do that a lot. This whole like, oh, bro, bro, like sports. But you're like, but nerds should love baseball. It's yeah. all numbers. It has nothing to do with anything else but numbers. In fact, the only way we speak about athletes in baseball is fucking numbers. Their numbers are what's your what's your on base percentage? You know what I mean? Like what's your what's your batting average? What it's like, it's all and you're viewed as a number. Everything about you is a number, which is why I always got annoyed when friends that were like, I don't like sports because I'm a fucking nerd. It's like, well, no, it, the most intricates of sports are all numbers. I mean, uh, when you're talking about having a blank brain, I'm a big golfer. I love golf. You have to be empty or a genius to be good at golf, right? That's Phil Mickelson said that. And they said, well, and they asked him about a few other golfers. Like, what about, you know, Dustin Johnson? He's like, you can figure it out on your own. But it's like, what well, Tiger was a, 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 a literal genius. I mean, his brain was so tuned in. Or you have to be the opposite, which is, you know, not, not to belittle the guy, but like John Daly is kind of like a flow-as-you-go guy. He's not yeah. this over-analytical, insane. But I think there's genius in that of being like, yeah, I just step up and hit the fucking ball. I mean, there's a great interview with him where he was like, they go, now that you don't drink anymore, what's your warm-up routine? Because he used to drink yeah. before. And he's like, I you know, drink about four or five Diet Cokes and about, hit about a dozen balls and go to the first tee. And you're like, that's like some shit your local yokel would say. <laughs> but it was because he was so empty 
about the stress of it that it was just. But it also could so be good. just pure muscle memory, and yeah, he's just that he, he's talent. wired for it, right? But he doesn't have to intellectualize any of it. But there's such a strength differential as the game goes on of what you can do and how you can shape the ball and how hard yeah. you can hit it, and and the guy's still playing with fucking cancer, which is just like, I, I just think there's impressiveness of that. Where, I stopped playing golf for the same reason I stopped acting, which is me and Sandler went and played with Dennis Miller way back in the like 1990 or 91 or something. And then I never really played before. And I just kept like walking in his line and. Oh, stepping uh, on his. Yeah. yeah and, and he was just like, you know, hey, Ben Hogan, maybe uh, don't, <laughs> don't yeah. step there in front of my line there. And he just humiliated me all day. And I was like, I guess I, should, I guess I shouldn't play golf. That was the last time you're done. <laughs> you were so. like, that's it. I well, can't I do tried it on a vacation to take a lesson and then I was hitting some balls and then I went to play tennis, and I herniated a disc and had to have a surgery. So, <laughs> so that's what ended it. And I think I didn't never knew how to warm up, so I, I just, you know, I, I went down. You put it to I bed. I went down hard, so I, I put it to bed. So, outside of then, what outside of writing, directing, producing comedy, and 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 in general, what's like your getaway then? Like, do you not do you not have a thing that's like your little escape? Like golf is literally my escape. It's the sure. thing that I take away from this. When I'm not touring, I'm not doing stand up. I'm not acting. I'm not shooting this. That's kind of how I just get to leave the world a little bit. Yeah. Do you not golf. have one of those things? Hmm, that's a good question. Or have you dedicated too much of your life to the arts and now you're trapped? Yeah, I'm probably a little art trapped because I I might go. Oh, I can go to the art gallery or I can go watch some movies it's all in the arts i mean a lot of it is in the arts i play tennis if i have extra time i'll go play tennis but how often does that really happen uh every couple of years uh no there was a, a period where i was trying to do it when, when i'm finally in good enough shape to do it yeah I, I like to play tennis and i finally started like walking and taking hikes which i never did before really During the pandemic i started walking two hours a day two hours yeah i would get up and just walk seven to nine like almost every day would you listen would you listen to something or would you just sometimes sometimes take walks with people but i never wanted to do that before but i had a feeling during the pandemic that if i didn't get up off my ass you i would gain 50 pounds and just yeah. be on drugs on the but couch fat judd would be cool that would be a good debut for your you know what i mean for that second half of your career because that story yeah. i want to tell when i make your documentary yeah when i went just the wave over of, the edge I, right. I mean i was right there because I, I was like heading towards 210 which is not, Ooh, I'm not that's that a tall. good number and i would i thought this is good. This is going to go. I'm going to go all the way in that direction right now. Yeah. Or I have to take it back. There's no middle ground. I will not hover right. at 205. <laughs> I need to like. It's going to go the all the way up. It's going up or it's going down. You can use swap with Kevin Smith. You just, he gets really thin and he's you get, very thin. He is like, it's shocking. The hockey jerseys now look like. He didn't it, make an adjustment in the. You got to get smaller jerseys. Well, you got to change it somehow. But you know, I, I'm yeah. like that too. I'm a hoarder, so like if I had the good jerseys and I have memories with each jersey, yeah, I wouldn't change it out. You're a hoarder in the sense that you just keep all the bullshit. You keep I keep all good sorts of shit. shit. I'm, I say I'm not a. It's like it's not hoarding if your stuff is awesome. Ah, says <laughs> says someone who has a problem. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's when they go clean out their houses and they're like, but all of it yeah. is amazing. You're like, got, this is cat poop wrapped in newspaper. I've got three Paul Lind autographs and there's no reason why you can't have three. Yeah, because one isn't enough. Yeah, one isn't enough. No. Were you a collector of autographs? Yeah. You were? Yeah, when I was a kid. Me too. And I, I still, I'll go online like the other night. I went online and bought uh, a like a an old Saturday Night Live, something signed by the cast like, from the Chris Rock era. Oh wow! Just just out of, just because you uh, want it. I don't 
know. I just was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's got Farley on there and yeah. Phil Hartman. And yeah, I'll, I'll go get that stuff. And the funniest thing is I know the second I drop dead, my kids will throw it in the dumpster. Sure. As they should. <laughs> All your shit, right? Everything. And I tell them that. Don't go through it. Toss it. Burn it. Without guilt. Yeah, burn it. Don't You don't need to worry about my Frank Sinatra autograph. Just, just burn it. They're like, who is that? Exactly. Yeah. They don't, they don't well, care. That, my dad says that all the time, that when he cleaned out his mom's house, he's like, it was more heartbreaking to go through all of this shit. Yeah. He's like, when I die, we're burning the house. You're yeah. get, like, it's gone. Yeah. All He's like, I'm going to pay a company to come and fucking just light it out. Because he was like, it was exhausting with his brother, you know, and his sister going there and like having to go through this kind of yeah. like piece by piece of things, of things, sure. of things. He was I went like, through Shandling stuff. Yeah. There wasn't someone to really go through it yeah and so i went through all of it you and i want to note this uh, before we let you get back to work because judd took time out of his day to come here and i do appreciate it very much um you invited me to come to shanling's uh memorial and i didn't go and i'll tell you what now i don't think you even thought about it but I appreciated you inviting me and i didn't go because i was it was a huge fan but he didn't know me mm-hmm. and I was like, I got to pay my respects from afar because it was uncomfortable for me. I hate those things because I'm really hard. I'm like, yeah. for someone who loves, like, look at me, I the things are really difficult for me to be a part of, uh, like crowded things. And I couldn't do it. And I asked my wife, I was like, should I just go just to go? And she's like, are you going to be uncomfortable the whole time? I was like, I'll be thinking about everything. I'll be, I yeah. will be you on the mound for the Mets game. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Do I go say hi to that guy? Do I have to? Uh, yeah, I have a lot of social anxiety. Um, and, and I feel like it's gotten worse in As the last couple older. of years. Yeah. Like, I feel there's too many people. I've met too many people and I don't remember anyone's name. Yeah. Even people I know, I my brain just shorts out. Andrew Santino. Yeah. 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 And, and even that I'll be concentrating, right? Even during this. <laughs> yeah. um, but but my brain is a little like slow on the up, you know, uptake about that. And so even like doing comedy again and meeting like another 400 people. And then every time you make a movie, you might meet 100 people. That's a nightmare. And then my kids' friends and their parents and the kids at school. So there's like thousands of them. And I swear to God, I probably remember like 30 names. And so going into any space for me is terrifying of people going like, how's it going? I'm like, hey. Fuck. How are you? How do I know this man? And and, And my whole thing is I will talk to them till I figure it out. And then 10 minutes more, so they'll think that I always knew. Oh. So I'll give them way too much time. I'll talk to him until they walk away. Wow. Like he must have known my name because he wanted to talk for so long. Yeah, he was annoying. I had to get the <laughs> fuck out of there. He wouldn't leave me alone. I do the opposite. I I've, I can't do it anymore. When someone, yeah. I just don't, I just go, hey, man, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm, I totally yeah. forgot your name. Yeah. And then they'll say their name and they'll be mad at me for a short time. But at least... At least I don't have to do the thing where it's 30 minutes of. Yes, yeah, I'd rather give your the 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I'm Jewish. So that's a whole different approach. You're Jewish? I, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's part of my oh, thing. That's part of my whole shit. thing. But I. Um, Gross. I uh, had a brain scan recently. Um, and they said I had brain damage, which I think was from a car accident in like 1990. I got hit from behind by a drunk driver. While I was stoned. Wait a minute. You um, got, you, uh, did you get injured, injured during the accident? I think I had whiplash and I probably got a concussion but didn't know it so, at wow. the time. And so when they did this brain scan, the scan they were like, look, there's, see that there? That's probably like brain damage. Brain damage ever hit your head. 
Whoa. So now what I was thinking about doing was saying to people, I have brain damage. That's good. And and apologizing and just saying, I have a neurological thing where my brain, I'm having problems with, with names. That's a good cop out. Do you think that would work? I mean- if this podcast gets out, it'll kind of uh, spoil the. Yeah, it the, might jump be the true. Shark. Yeah, it no, might be true. it does sound true. Yeah. It sounds true because there are yeah. moments when I look at you and I yeah. think, I wonder if Judd has brain damage. See, see, oh, that makes me I feel so much better. <laughs> I feel so. much I think better. you should start using it. I do like that a lot. You, yeah. we actually, you should just write a film about brain damage, and that'll be your kind of. Right? You know. I use it with the wife all the time. Anytime anything weird happens, any mistake I make, I'm like, it's the brain damage. It's the brain damage, baby. It's the brain damage. Well, look, uh, I hope that you your brain damage subsides enough that you can keep making great stuff. I can't wait to see what, what you're putting out with the Carlin documentary and uh, The Bubble. Should be very good. Another film I could have been in. But in the future, if I don't yeah. get to work with you, um, we tried. Well, isn't this a form of work? No. Don't you get paid for this? No. There's no money in this. We pay other people. Jeez. This this cost me one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it was it? done. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was really good. This is uh, a. I do wonder how much money everyone's making on their podcasts. Uh, it it depends on how popular the podcast is. Is it for the road to sell out the road? Yeah. Or like, let's talk like hard numbers. Yeah. Hard numbers. We have tons of friends. With podcasts. A guy like, a guy, we literally spoke of before this, uh, a guy like Dak Shepard, who has like one of the most famous podcasts in the world. Well, that's, that's. Is making millions and millions and yeah. millions of dollars. Yeah. Enough that like he shouldn't ever do television ever again. Yeah. Let's say that. Okay. I feel like that's a good barometer. It's and, like, a, and a, a and the comedy person store person, successful road comic, has making, their own specials. They're making good money. They're good, making what? They're good, good money. A few hundred like, grand. It, dep- it just depends on. How they monetize it and how yeah. they sell it and who their sponsors yeah. are. We're making, I think we make eight bucks an ad. Is eight that bucks Am I ad. wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? Who am are your I right? main ads? Uh, this one's going to be a lot of antidepressant ads. Yeah. It'll be, uh, okay. this will probably be boner pills, antidepressant, Xanax, uh, something for dry eye. Dry eye, yeah. Something <laughs> for dry clear eye. eyes is awesome. Uh, like a back hair trimmer. Yeah, we do have that. Yeah, Manscaped usually sponsors us. <laughs> do you know that uh, you know, someone's saying like on Instagram, they you know they think like they hear you, and if you talk about something enough, you'll see the ad come up. Sure. And, and the one that people talked about with me, they're like, I don't have a cat, but like when I'm with friends and my phone's on, I'll just always talk about cats to see how long it takes for cat ads of some sort to pop up. To pop up, and they say it does happen, but I have to say for a little while, it was a lot of back hair trimmers hitting my Instagram. <laughs> really? And I don't know if that's, I looked at something on Amazon once. I don't know like what that's they really share. What it is. But I have to say my ads are so on target. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, mine are, mine are absurd. Also, what really is a good tell, you, mm-hmm. you don't have to show me, but to look, mm-hmm. yes. you open up your, because I'll show you mine. You don't have to show me, but you open up your explore page. You know, this, the, the just the a spyglass. Yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's the search. Yeah. So like this, immediately, what is all of that? It's all just, can you see mine? That's like your- It's just, go- it's just golf. Oh, if I do the, uh, yeah. Just okay. the, so so hit the spy, gla- the, okay. you know, the, the, the magnifying glass. What it is says it? everything about me. What is it? And I'll show you just so you know, I'm not lying. Yeah. Um, a picture of Elvis Presley in the late 60s looking good. Good. Uh, a picture of uh, Lane Stanley, the lead singer- of Alice in Chains yes. comes up. Uh, this is a picture of 
Janet Jackson talking to Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> These are all my Instagram photos that come up first. And then a picture of Eddie Vedder on a boat. Cool. Zac Efron has come up. See, this, Jack Black. This is you. Jack Black, my my wife and, and daughter, and uh, Bill Pullman. <laughs> and Bill Pullman. <laughs> See, this this really so this is an aggregate of what they're kind of going to continue to pool analytically of what the next thing to sell you on. That's what this is. That's what this page always is. To they're going to sell me on a picture of Ben Ben Affleck and uh, and and Pick, his, picking up his, Dunkin' Donuts. His wife. <laughs> I bought that this morning. It cost me a pretty penny. Okay. Uh, look, I love you. I appreciate you. I want we end the episode the same way. I used to have to walk off camera, but I don't have to do mm. it anymore. Yeah. So if you look in that camera, you're I single, do. and you say one word or one phrase to end the episode. It can be profound. It can be stupid. It can be whatever um, you want it to be. Come. <laughs> in here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. Ginger. I like gingers.